America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. that melody? Of course you do. How many countless happy dancing evenings have come to a close with Good Night, Sweetheart? But for $64,000, do you know who wrote it? And what, you might well ask, has all this to do with suspense? Well, it's a tuneful way to introduce the star of the upcoming story, Ray Noble. That's right, Ray Noble, who wrote Good Night, Sweetheart. For years, along with everybody else, we have thought Ray Noble was a very funny fellow as he bandied his egg-headed wit against the wooden-headed quips of Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurg on the Edgar Bergen show. So when Mr. Noble came back from London for a short holiday in Hollywood, we wrote a play for him and persuaded him to essay his first dramatic role. Listen, listen then, as Ray Noble stars in The Star of Thessaly, which begins in exactly one minute. Let me ask you a question. Who is Uncle Sam's lawyer? Well, if your answer is the Attorney General, you're absolutely right. But being legal advisor to the President and other government agencies is only part of his job. His main task is running the Department of Justice, which makes sure that the laws passed by Congress are carried out, and the lawyers are furnished when the government must be represented in court. Now, suppose there's a question about the amount or kind of tax you should pay. Or suppose you and the government didn't agree about which one of you owned certain land. The Department of Justice would represent the government side of the case. If anyone is brought to trial for counterfeiting, smuggling, gold hoarding, or passport forging, the Department of Justice prosecutes the case. All matters dealing with legal immigration are handled by the Justice Department. And all of this is the responsibility of a very busy guy a member of the President's Cabinet, the Attorney General. And now... Mr. Ray Noble starring in The Star of Thessaly, a tale well calculated to keep you in... began under the classic circumstances dear to the hearts of the writers of British short stories, and presumably their readers. That is to say, it was a foggy November night in London, and a group of us were gathered before the crackling fire in St. Bottles Club in the West End. There were, as I remember, Sir Eustace Twining, Christopher Rexham, uh, Colonel Thorndyke, just home from India, and one other. Now, who could that have been? Oh, yes, it was I. <laughs> Captain Anthony Tumbley Smythe, OBE, DSC, recently retired and presently unemployed. Dreary weather. Beastly. Monstrous. Absolutely monstrous. Oh, it's not quite that bad, Sir Eustace. The vulgarity of it. The sheer, downright vulgarity. Who? The 
bounder here in the side. What bounder? This bounder. Just listen to this personal notice on the front page. For hire. Retired Captain Queen's Hussars. Oxonian. Superior intelligence. Superb family connections. We'll go anywhere and do anything for a price. Reply box 322, etc. Gentlemen, what is England coming to? Sounds like a rather enterprising chap. Enterprising? He's a traitor to his thrust, sir. Offering his services like, like an ordinary domestic. Oh, it pays to advertise for you, sir. Rarely, Chumley. Is there nothing sacred to parade one's college, one's family, to flaunt one's military service? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. As a matter of fact, I'd like to have a talk with this chap. Oh, really? Yes. My company has a most delicate situation on its hands. The kind of thing we can't entrust to the ordinary detective type. It requires tact, diplomacy, and all that. Do go on, old boy. Well, it involves the star of Cecily. And what might that be? Oh, a diamond which our company has insured for a quarter of a million pounds. I say. Well, it's worth much more, of course, though you'd never know it. It looks like a, well, like a big pebble that one might find on the beach at Brighton. It's uncut, you know. Oh, why? Well, the owner, Socrates Melas, is not only one of the wealthiest men in Greece, but he's also one of the most eccentric. He carries the star of Cecily on his person as a pocket piece. Of course, we run no great risk on the diamond, so long as Mr. Melas remains in bed. In bed? Oh, yes, yes, he's an invalid. And his villa in Athens is quite competently protected by the local police. However, it has become necessary for him to travel to Paris for an operation. And the old boy insists on carrying the diamond with him. Now, I need somebody just like your advertising friends, are you a No friend of mine, sir. <laughs> somebody suave enough to try to dissuade Mr. Melas from taking the diamond with him on the trip. And failing that, someone resourceful enough to go along on the trip and see that it isn't stolen. That's quite an assignment. Yes, but remunerative. Uh, uh, what box number did that chap mention in the Times, do you think? Oh, box 322. But no need to contact him there, Rexham. As they say in the uh, American cinema, you've just got yourself a boy. What? Are you saying, sir, that you inserted this notice? <laughs> Quite right, sir, you Shame, shame. Yes, sir. It, it, it's worse than going into trade. Oh, but much more profitable. And infinitely more exciting, what? <laughs> Six hours later, I presented myself at Socrates Maylas Villa on Mount Lycabet as overlooking Athens. A mustachioed guard in a white pleated ballet skirt showed me into the old man's room. It was like a museum with a bed. Around the walls were ancient figurines of marble and terracotta and whatnot, and in the bed was a mummy, dried and wrinkled and yellow. Since it moved and spoke, I assumed it must be Socrates Maylas himself. And so it was. I know why you have come here, and I wish you would go away. I, I will, sir, as soon as you've agreed to place the Star of Thessaly in a safe deposit box. The Star is my talisman. I am never without it. Look, Mr. Mellas, it's not only unwise, it's actually dangerous to go traveling around Europe with 250,000 quid in your pocket. Oh, nonsense. Nonsense, I say. The Star is only a piece of crystallized carbon. <laughs> Look at it. It's just uh, a little rock. Yes, sir, but a highly publicized little rock. You must leave it behind. Never! I like, I like the feel of it. I like to know that it's in my pocket. I am never without it. Very well, then. I'm afraid you'll never be without me until I can deliver you safely in Paris. 
The princess is your she. I have a nurse to take care of me. Nursing schools don't teach the kind of care I'm speaking of. Mm. Uh, I can't rid myself of you, eh? No, sir, not unless you put the star of Cecily in a safe place while you're away. Uh, very well. We leave tonight at 10 o'clock. What is your name? Uh, Captain Anthony Sumley Smart. Did you ring, sir? Did I ring? Yes. This is Captain Smythe. He's traveling to Paris with us. His name is Hippolyte. Oh, uh, how do you do? Delightfully. Huh? Make reservations for him on the same car as ours. Yes, sir. All right, Captain Smythe. I don't think we have anything further to discuss. Uh, no, sir, I suppose not. Show Captain Smythe out, Hippolyte. Yes, sir. This way, please. I'll see you on the train, Mr. Mailer. I hope not. Huh. Your employer seems to be a man of uh, pretty strong likes and dislikes. He's more than that, Captain. He's selfish, ungrateful, and downright mean. I've given him the best years of my life, and I don't even have his thanks to show for it. Trying shame, isn't it? I tell you, Captain Smite, it is the end. Well, I'm off it. Hey, wait a minute. Out there in the gulf. I say, what an exquisite creature. Oh, her. That's Kula. Is, uh, is she his nurse? Good heavens, no. Kula's his granddaughter. I am his nurse. In a moment, we continue with the second act of... Have you made any extra money lately? Maybe you completed the sentence, I use Sudsy Wudsy Soap because, in 25 words or less. Or you hit the jackpot on a three-horse parlay. Or maybe Aunt Bessie stepped in front of a fast freight and left you $3,500. Well, it doesn't matter how much you earn or how much additional income you're lucky enough to latch on to. If it exceeds the minimum allowed by law, there's a little matter of income tax to consider. In our country, income tax is put on an impartial basis. It doesn't matter if you're a ribbon clerk or a steel tycoon. If your state has one representative in Congress or ten, if there are 100 people in your town or 100,000, according to the 16th Amendment to the Constitution, the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. That's how your American Constitution works. And now, starring Ray Noble, Act Two of The Star of Thessaly. Later that afternoon, with time on my hands, I wandered up to the Acropolis to pay my respects to the ruins of ancient Athens. And there, as the setting sun streamed through the columns of the Parthenon, I discovered I wasn't alone on the hilltop. Leaning against one of the pillars was a beautiful, dark-haired girl whom I was sure I knew. If I did, I certainly wanted to. I, I beg your pardon, but hadn't we... Excuse me? I have a feeling we've met somewhere before. I think not, sir. Oh, so then may I correct that lamentable situation? I'm Captain Anthony Sumner Smile. I'm glad to meet you, sir. I'm Kula... Mela? Yes. How did you know? Uh, that's when I saw you. 
You see, this afternoon I visited your grandfather and I saw you in the garden as I was leaving. Oh. <laughs> yes. I wanted so to meet you, but your grandfather's nurse ushered me right out of the house. Oh, that Hippolyte, that nasty little man. Absolutely, to say the least. And what, may I ask, brings you up to the Acropolis all alone? Oh, I come here often at the end of the day. It is so beautiful. Yeah, it certainly is. A... Oh, wait a minute. What is it? I thought I saw a man's head peering down to from up there on the roof of the parking Oh, you must be mistaken. No. The twilight, it was probably a bird or your imagination. Perhaps so. It is getting dark. But what's say we go back down the hill and have a cocktail? Oh, I'm afraid I can't. I must go home and finish my packing. Oh, packing? Yes, I'm leaving for Paris tonight. With your grandfather? Yes. Oh, wizard! Utterly smashing. Beg your pardon. Well, I'm going to be on the same train, in the same car, in fact. How nice. So if I may, I'd like to see you. Look in the park! Oh, what was that? A large marble fragment of ancient Greece. I hadn't taken your arm just then. It would have splattered me all over the Acropolis. But who could have done it? Your bird. Or that man I imagined I saw up there on the roof. Come on, let's get out of here. Unlike Lord Byron, I have no desire to be buried in the Isles of Greece. But a quarter to ten that night, a curious procession entered the train shed of the Athens railway station. It was headed by Socrates Melas in a wheelchair, pushed by a perspiring Hippolyte. After them, the lovely cooler, and bringing up the rear, yours truly, carrying his own bag. The old man ignored me, the male nurse virtually snubbed me, but this didn't concern me too much as soon as I caught up the cooler. Good evening. Oh, Captain, I thought perhaps you had changed your mind. Oh, about taking this train? Dear God, it's once I learned you were to be a fellow passenger, Hercules himself would be She yanked me to one side as a huge porter, pushing a heavy cart of luggage grazed by me and shoved on through the crowd without a buy your leave. Following him was a short, hatless, bull-necked man, evidently the owner of the cart full of luggage. Oh. If you hadn't pulled me aside, you'd have broke my legs with that truck. It would have been a regrettable accident. I don't think it would have been an accident. Ah, here we are, the Paris car. You know, that's strange. What? Do you see that man keeping the porter? Oh, my hit-and-run porter, yes. I think I have seen him someplace before, just today. Seeing that one twice in one day is once too many. Now I remember. He was up on the Acropolis earlier this afternoon before you arrived. Oh, he was. And I dare say he was still there after we left. What do you mean? I'll tell you when I'm certain. There was a pattern here, and it was beginning to emerge. The bullneck man with the hit-and-run porter had also been on the Acropolis shortly before that chunk of Greece's glory had scored a near miss on my skull. And now he was traveling in the same car with me. It was all very well to be Socrates Milo's bodyguard, but at that moment I would have liked very much to have a bodyguard for myself. But things look better in the morning, as our through car joined the Orient Express at Salonika. The bullneck man hadn't emerged from his compartment, and what disturbed me more, neither his cooler. So I breakfasted alone. And then as the train sped west towards Italy and the Alps, I went forward to pay my respects to the boss. Yes? Oh, Captain Smythe. How's Mr. Mayor today? Quite well. Who is that, Hippolyte? Captain Smythe. Hand me away. Oh, come now, old chap. I'm not here by choice, you know. How are you feeling? Very well. Why shouldn't I be? Everything all right? Certainly. Mr. Cecily is right here in my pyjama pocket. Is that what you mean? 
Good. That's what I mean. The next day and a half were dull. Oh, very dull. Cooler remained in her compartment feeding a migraine. The bullet-headed bull-neck man stayed in his for reasons best known to himself, so I stayed in mine. Except for meals and the periodic and unwelcome checkups I made every few hours on the whereabouts of the star of Sesame. <laughs> then on the afternoon of the second day, while the train was snaking upwards through the Italian Alps, I was idly leaping through some magazines I picked up in the Milan station when the train attendant came in. What do you want? Well, we come a subito to Simplon Tunnel. I'm going to turn on the lights. Oh, the Simplon Tunnel? Yes, si, senor. The longest tunnel in the world. Twelve miles all up here. She starts in Italia and she comes out in Switzerland. <laughs> my, my. Well, thanks for the travelogue. Okay, senor. Nothing, just thanks. Oh. Prego, prego, senor. A moment later, the Orient Express was swallowed up by the Simplon Pump. A moment after that, the door of my compartment slid open again. And there stood my bullet-headed bull-neck neighbor pointing a very efficient German Luger at me. Now, Captain Smythe, you will get down to business. Who are you? It's of no importance. And what is the business we're going to get down to? The business of you leaving the train right now. Oh, come now. Dark out there in the tunnel. Lower that window. And let all the smoke in. Lower it or... All right, all right. Don't get so excited. There. See? No. Very annoying. Now, out of the window. Out of the fire, too. Do you mind telling me why? You are in my way. I beg your pardon? Before the train emerges from the tunnel, I intend to have the star of Thessaly. Oh, I see. Uh, you weren't by any chance crawling around the roof of the Parthenon the other night, were you? Of course. And, of course, you paid the porter to try and run me down to the railway station? Of course, and each time that girl saved you. But nothing can save you now. Out of the window with you. While I had kept them talking, the compartment had been filling with train smoke. I'd been calculating the lurch of the car. Now I turned towards the window slowly, waiting for the car to lurch once more. I braced myself at the window. The car gave a jerk, throwing Bullnick slightly off the balance. I whirled, grabbed his gun arm, stuck my knee into his middle, and rolled over. Unfortunately, the train lurched a little more than I expected, and poor old Bullnick kept going right on. I tore out of my compartment and down the corridor to Maylard's room. The light was out. If the light wasn't there, the old man was lying on the bed, breathing shadowly, obviously dope. I felt in his pajama pocket, and I felt around the bedclothes. It was nowhere. It was gone. The star of Cecily was gone. They will not mix. They will not do business. 
and they will not listen to advice. What would you do? Tell the other leaders of the community that what these people do is their own business and how they live and die makes no difference to you? Or would you call in a group of experts who are experienced in clearing up such situations? Of course you would. Because you know that poverty anywhere is a danger to prosperity everywhere. You would ask the experts to help the people pull themselves up by their bootstraps, up to a better way of life. Throughout the world, this is what the International Labor Organization is doing. It is an agency of the United Nations, which is man's best hope for higher social standards, peace, and justice. And now. Starring Ray Noble, Act Three Young, the star of Thessaly. The star of Thessaly was gone, and the man who had planned to steal it was gone too. Who else was after then? If there wasn't much time, I sent Cooler in to look after her grandfather, and I started to search the car compartment by compartment. By the time I was halfway through, the train was out of the tunnel and slowing down for Swiss customs inspection. I heard a door open at the forward end and, and saw a figure slip out of the WC. It was Hippolyte. He threw open the vestibule door and dropped off the train, stumbling as he hit the gravel of the roadbed. I jumped after him, but he was on his feet and running, his left leg limping badly. I nearly caught up with him when he turned suddenly. I saw the gun in his hand and dived in a flying tackle as it went off. <laughs> All right, Hippie, old boy. I want two things from you. That gun. Please, please, let me go, Captain. And, and the star of Thessaly. Let me keep it, Captain Smith. He does not need it. He has millions. Let me keep the star. You know that it would probably kill him to lose that diamond. It is only a pocket piece to him. He owes it to me. I've given him the best piece of my life. Let me keep this star, Captain Smite. Please, let me escape. <laughs> Come on, Happy. Crying will get you nowhere. You are just a heartless brute, Captain Smart. Yeah, I know. But let's go for it. Tom, where have you been? I've been so worried. Is he still asleep? Yes, he hasn't moved. Good. What are you doing? Putting the star of Thessaly back in his pocket. It was uh, misplaced for a little while. Oh, and Cooler, I'm afraid you'll have to take over as your grandfather's nurse. Why? Where is he for that? Well, he fell in love with the Alps, so he's stopping over for a while in Switzerland.
in which Ray Noble starred in The Star of Thessaly. Written, directed, and produced by William N. Robeson. Supporting Mr. Noble in The Star of Thessaly were Lillian Bias, Ben Wright, Jay Novello, Byron Kane, and Abraham Sofair. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in... money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Say big.